Hey everybody, we are back. College Gridiron Week 10 edition is here on a Thursday afternoon here in the Bronx. Alongside my partner Nick DeLuca, I'm Jimmy Sullivan. A lot to get into in college football last week, but now we're heading down the stretch, heading into the last month of the season, and game's feeling a lot more important now as teams starting to separate themselves in the playoff discussion. Yeah, it's it's the best time of year, I think, certainly in terms of college football. Yes, you get the period where hopefully you get a couple of good games early with some playoff implications, but really down the stretch as the conference schedule starts to pick up, this is where it gets good. How about LSU and Alabama in a week's time or a couple weeks down the, lo- down the line? So th- that's really what we're looking towards, but a couple of good matchups this weekend. It was a good weekend of college football, and I'm excited to talk about it. I hope your week and your day has been good, Jimmy. It's, it's certainly been good and certainly a lot of football to get into, and let's start there. Number one team in the land, the LSU Tigers. Hold that tiger. They win 23-20 over Auburn last weekend. A good performance from a very game Auburn team staying in that game. They kind of ran out of gas down the stretch. Joe Burrow, probably the Heisman frontrunner at this point, 32 of 42 for 321, a touchdown and an interception. Also a touchdown from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the LSU running back. Bo Nix held in check again for Auburn. Uh, 15 of 35, passing for him, 167 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Auburn's defense, worth noting, gave up over 500 total yards. They were able to get off the field in several key junctures in that game, but it wasn't enough for them to beat LSU as I dropped my phone. So the Tigers move not only to 8-0, but they're now the number one team in the land. They've certainly played like it recently, and this LSU team once again just showed why they're so tough to beat, whether it's at home, on the road, no matter how they're playing. It's tough to beat Ed Orgeron's team, and they're really clicking on a lot of cylinders right now. I think this is a big game for LSU because it shows you that they can win when they're not at their best, which is important, right? Because it's it was sort of a weird game in that both teams didn't play their best. You have Bo Nix on the Auburn side who went 15-35, uh, 157 yards. So we've certainly seen him play better. We've seen the LSU offense play better in terms of point production, right? They moved the ball really well, 508 total yards, and Joe Burrow threw for 321. But we've seen both of these teams play better. So I think it's really interesting for me anyway to see LSU kind of respond, albeit at home, to probably the first time that their offense didn't play up to the standard that we've seen them play throughout this year. Again, not that they were bad, but but kicking field goals in situations where we're used to seeing them score touchdowns. So I was really impressed with the way LSU's offense was able to move the ball, but not the way they played in the red zone. And then hats off to LSU's defense for keeping them in the game. It's complimentary football. That was the question about LSU pretty much throughout this entire season. We know their offense is good. We know Joe Brady's elite. We know Joe Burrow's elite. But can they do enough on the defensive side of the ball when teams are able to make them kick field goals from time to time? Do they have enough defensively? And they answered the bell against a good Auburn team. I was impressed with the way Auburn played, and that showed me a lot about the other Tigers on the other sideline. Hats off to Gus Malzahn. Freshman quarterback, offense didn't play well. Defense didn't play great in terms of yardage, but showed up where it counted and I was impressed, walking away from this game was impressed with both teams, but it, it certainly shows that LSU is going to be a force to be reckoned with, 
And watch out, especially if Tua doesn't play in a couple of weeks, because LSU, I, I think they've earned the number one ranking in the country. And they're probably going to go into that Alabama game as number one. They're on a bye this week, and then they've got Alabama the week after that. And we were talking about how they would kind of have to win that game, scoring 30 or 40 points, you know, an offensive outburst. And this was, scoring-wise, the worst offensive game they've had this year. And before the Mississippi State game, which was the week before last, they hadn't scored fewer than 42 in a game. So we hadn't seen their defense have to step up and play well. The defense had to do that on Saturday in Death Valley, and they did. And I think that's the game LSU kind of needed to see. They saw that they could win a game 23-20. Because if you would have told me that Auburn's defense held LSU to 23 points, honestly, with the way LSU's defense had played, I would have felt pretty good about it if I was Gus Malzahn and Auburn. And I would have thought, hey, you know, that's a better than 50-50 chance that we win that game. So that's a hats off to LSU because their defense showed that they could stop them. Now, moving over to Alabama in a week's time, that game's obviously interesting because what happens with Tua, you know, what happens if Mac Brown has to play at quarterback again. But look, this LSU defense showed that they can be competent. They can stop, you know, a decent offense. Do I think Auburn is, you know, gangbusters offensively? No, obviously not. But I think it does show you that, hey, this LSU team can win in several different ways. And I think that was probably the main question when you looked at LSU because their offense had been scoring so many points and their defense, I don't want to say it had been untested. But it kind of was. You know, you look at a game like Texas where they put up 45 and the defense gives up 38, but it's still good enough for them to win. The defense was tested on Saturday, and they passed. And I think that's a big development for LSU, and that's a credit to them. It's the first time they didn't play a perfect game, right? 12 penalties, 118 yards is really difficult to overcome. Granted, Auburn wasn't great in the penalty department. They had 98 yards worth of penalties on that side, right? But two turnovers and weren't effective in the red zone, so... Again, I think it just goes to show you it's it's kind of a, a of a of an odd situation where both of these teams didn't play well, but at the same time you're kind of saying hats off to both of them because there's credit that's due on the other sideline. They're both each playing a really good team in both Auburn and LSU's cases playing each other, right? So it it it, it shows you that both of these teams are able to overcome not playing their best to a certain extent, and I think LSU has the horses. Auburn, again, as Bo Nix continues to gain experience and continues to become more comfortable, I think in a year or two, they're a team that's a force to be reckoned with. But right now, LSU, that defense showing up is really encouraging, and the ability for them to win when not at their best tells me a lot. So a big win for LSU. Before we move on, I, I just cited Alabama quarterback Mac Brown, and it's obviously been a long week because it's Mac Jones. <laughs> it's not Mac Brown. <laughs> we return got, of the Mac. <laughs> we got to save return of the Mac for when they win a big game later in the year. Maybe when they win like the Cheez It Bowl or something. I, I would have been entertained <laughs> by Mac Brown playing quarterback for Alabama, so I'm not going to fault you too much there. Still mad at him for losing that game to Clemson, but anyway. Let's move on to an upset that did happen this past weekend, and that was Oklahoma going down to Kansas State. They lose 48-41, and honestly, that score kind of belies how much of a blowout that game was. Kansas State ran all over Oklahoma. Uh, We had talked all year about how much improved the Oklahoma defense was, and then Kansas State took a 2 by 4 to that notion on Saturday and just ran all over the Sooners, over 200 rushing yards for them. And they get the win. Chris Kleiman doing a really good job in year one after replacing Bill Snyder. They're now 5-2 and two overall, 2-2 two and two in Big Ten play. Oklahoma falls to 7-1. and one. I don't think this is an eliminating loss for Oklahoma in terms of the college football playoff. It is damaging, but 
I think this is a loss they can come back from, although there were several concerns that were raised on the Oklahoma side. And you have questions as to whether this team is good enough to compete with the big boys for a national title, even if they do make the playoff, because they have a game like this where their defense does absolutely terribly. And you just have to ask a lot of questions, even with all the improvements they had supposedly made in the offseason. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's an eliminating loss. That, I think, will depend on how some of the other races shake out and how some of the other schools play. It's a similar conversation to the one we were having about LSU, but in a different way, right? They didn't play their best, Oklahoma, but the defense wasn't there to bail them out. That's the difference between the caliber of team that LSU has shown to be this year and the lack thereof, or or certainly on last Saturday for Oklahoma, right? They, they played well offensively. And Jalen Hurts was was really was excellent, 395 yards and a touchdown. But still, there was there were some points to be had, and there was a lull. You know, only six points in in the second and third quarter, right? So they turned it on in the fourth quarter. They were good in the first, right? But but Kansas State goes on a 34 to six run in that game. So there was were a couple quarters where the offense wasn't clicking, and Kansas State took advantage, right? You score 34 points in that span. And Oklahoma desperately needed his defense because the offense wasn't going for a little while. And that defense that we had raved about and said was much improved and really was going to take them to the next level as a program and a defense that they hadn't had for the last couple of years, it abandoned them. I thought the, the, the comment about a two-by-four is exactly right because Kansas State did whatever the heck they wanted. How about 426 yards of total offense and over 200 and, and 200 yards on the ground, right? So Kansas State did whatever they wanted to do, and it was a really disappointing result for Oklahoma, who thought they had things figured out on the defensive end. Clearly they did not, and that is a difficult loss for them to overcome because depending on how things shake out, that may have eliminated them from playoff contention. Yeah, it remains to be seen. I will say this in terms of the playoff discussion. This is going to be a terrible thing to say. 48-41 looks a lot better than 48-23. And those last two touchdowns and field goal, it sounds crazy. That's going to help them because that wasn't a blowout loss, and the committee's going to look at that as, oh, they lost by one touchdown. Not that the committee people are stupid because they saw that game and how much Oklahoma got dominated in the first three quarters. But they'll look at that and say, okay, they came back. They made a game of it. Um, that that being said, I was very surprised that this happened to Oklahoma like this because, you know, we've seen them play good offenses this year. They played Texas in the Red River rivalry, and I was able to say it, and they, they held them down. You know, their offense did not do anything in the first half of that game, essentially, and they held the fort. They got in a halftime. I don't remember exactly what the score is. I think it was like 10-3 or 10-10. Yeah, it was 10-3, and they were able to hold it down and, and bail out their offense, but – the offense struggles in the second and third quarter. And look, Kansas State's a good team this year, but their their offense is not necessarily explosive. They're running a lot of the same stuff that they had run in the past with Bill Snyder, which is a lot of under center action and running up the middle. And Oklahoma just couldn't stop it. It wasn't a particularly complicated scheme. So that was, I think, the most disappointing thing. But look, I mean, this is an Oklahoma team that, you know, we thought going into the year, hey, they're up there in the Big 12. They're up there in the playoff discussion. And to play a game like that, it's not even so much losing to Kansas State. It's just the way that it happened and and the way they were really thoroughly dominated that makes you think, hey, there are other teams out there that could probably do this too. I'll also give you one more point on Oklahoma. Interesting game in a couple of weeks for them, November 16th at Baylor. Baylor could go into that game undefeated, and that could be a big deciding game in the Big 12. So that'll be an interesting game. 
not only for Oklahoma's playoff chances, but I think also the Big 12's playoff chances because now you have to start looking at Baylor if they continue this undefeated run and go, hmm, maybe they're a team that could try to poke their head into things. Yeah, and it's really interesting football that's being played because we talk about Oklahoma as the kings of the Big 12 all the time, but Baylor, Matt Rule doing a great job over there. Again, the strength of schedule is is somewhat yeah. subjective. It's I not think there. It's, yeah. it's not there. But again, if you beat Oklahoma, does that throw you into the conversation? Because again, an off Saturday last week, but let's let's not kid ourselves. Oklahoma is a force to be reckoned with, and they're a really solid program and a really solid team. So a, a win over over Oklahoma could boost Baylor's chances. I don't know. That's a long shot, and I, I think it'll be tough for them to certainly beat Oklahoma and finish out undefeated. We can cross that bridge when we come to it, but really, shout-out to Chris Kleiman because he, uh, again, a guy who's got a, a, a solid pedigree coming from North Dakota State and has really done a good job for a Kansas State program that was stagnant the last couple of years under Bill Snyder, and 5-2 and two for them in his first year. We talk about it all the time, how difficult it is for first-year head coaches to get it turned around. They're doing a great job there, and an Oklahoma win in your first year is a big deal. Yeah, so he's doing a really good job over there. Big 12, kind of a little bit of a mess right now. Texas also lost last week. Baylor, only undefeated team in that conference right now, but they've got a tougher schedule coming up ahead, so we'll see what happens with them. And now we move over to the Big Ten, and we must offer a sincere... Heartfelt apology to Michigan. We counted them out. We thought they were going to lose to Notre Dame. And what happens? Just the opposite of what we thought. A Michigan blowout, 45-14 was the final in Ann Arbor. Notre Dame uh, didn't show up. That game was, I want to say, basically over when the teams got off the buses. Um, Michigan dominated that game, which I never thought I would say. First quarter was low scoring, but Notre Dame's offense was mustering absolutely nothing. Uh, Michigan's offense really ran all over uh, Notre Dame, over 300 rushing yards for them. Impressive win for Jim Harbaugh. Do you look at this as, hey, we were wrong about Michigan, or do you look at it more on the side of Notre Dame and saying, wow, that's really disappointing? Well, I'd like to put this out there. Dear um, Mr. James Harbaugh, I would like to express my sincerest. No, they're not. That that, that was, look, they, they – I was impressed with the way they played, and I'll tell you this. When you look at the way that Shea Patterson went out there and played last Saturday night, 6 of 12, 100 yards. If you told me that that's what he did, I, I, I just don't think there's any way that I'm sitting there saying they won the game. And look, congratu- that's an embarrassing loss for Notre Dame to oh, give yeah. up 300 yards rushing. How, how do you lose a game where the quarterback only throws 12 times? That's Who are you playing, Wisconsin? But... <laughs> Look, the, the, here's here's the thing. They just got killed on the ground, and I just don't think that that's a sustainable way to win. Congratulations, you beat the doors off of Notre Dame because you showed up and they didn't. You were able to run it whenever you wanted to run it. They ran it 57 times. And threw right? it. they threw it 14 times. So, so <laughs> great job for you. Um, Notre Dame didn't show up. That's a that that might be a program resetting loss for Notre Dame. That was a really 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 bad loss. I think they'll recover. Ian Book was awful, right? And that's just that's that's one of the things we were talking about coming into this game that I just didn't think that Michigan's defense had this gear, and they did. So hats off to them. Ian Book was horrendous. Eight of twenty five for seventy three yards. They what did Notre Dame run? For, uh, ran for forty-seven yards. So your your quarterback throws for seventy-three, and you run for forty-seven. That's a really good job by by Michigan's defense, and not a recipe for winning if you're Notre Dame. 
That said, I will apologize to Jim Harbaugh in that I didn't think they had a chance to win this game. But at the same time, it doesn't really change my mind about where Michigan's at because the way that they're playing and the way that they're winning, I just don't think is sustainable in the greater echelon of college football and where they want to get to. Great, you can beat a Notre Dame team that didn't show up that night and and you know got embarrassed on the road. But at the same time, you can't beat teams by throwing it 12 times. And Shea Patterson still didn't look good, you know. What I, and and I think that's the key. So. At some point, congratulations to Michigan. They're playing a little better, especially after that second-half comeback against Penn State. So credit to them for sticking with it after falling behind early, and then they've clearly carried that momentum. But I don't think it changes my mind in terms of the state of the Michigan program or what I think about Jim Harbaugh because, look, if it takes 303 yards rushing to win a game for them against a quality opponent – then I think they're kind of where they are because that just doesn't happen all the time. And again, credit to them because they went out and they did it, but no one's going to sit there and saying, you can do this to the next. No one's sitting there saying, oh, well, they ran ran for 303 yards against Notre Dame, so now they can beat Ohio State because you know they did that to Notre Dame or they can beat uh, whoever they play, right? I just I don't think that it's sustainable. So in the spirit of, of this week, and, and I, I saw obviously in the news that you know, student athletes are going to start making money, and you'll see where I'm going with this in a second, basically that they could you know make money off their own image and likeness. And in the spirit of NCAA football, the video game, Ian Book looked like me trying to play on high school. <laughs> he looked terrible. He looked awful. And granted, you could say the rain, the wind, whatever. I don't care. Like, both teams had the same conditions, and Notre Dame runs it 31 times for 47 yards. Ian Book, this is brilliant. This is almost impossible to do. 2.9 yards per attempt. Yeah. I don't remember seeing a number that low in a while. Shea Patterson and Dylan McCaffrey combined to throw the ball 14 times. Michigan ran it 57. That's a browbeating. It's embarrassing for Notre Dame. And you look at this game, and you say, this is the intersection of two coaches who are really bad in big games. Brian Kelly has basically not won a really big game at Notre Dame when you think about it. I mean, even in 2012, that schedule was not that difficult, and they go to the BCS title game and get hammered against Alabama. Last year, down the stretch, didn't play a ton of great teams, go to the college football playoff, play Clemson, get destroyed. Um, and, and Brian Kelly's bad in big games, and I'm a Brian Kelly defender. I I, th- I think he's a pretty good coach, and you know what he's done. He's he will leave the Notre Dame program whenever he does. He he will probably do so in a better place than when he found it after Charlie Weiss got fired. But my God, how how do you let this happen? I mean, this is it. You said it was embarrassing. I mean, this is it was pitiful because was there's awful. not another word for it. No, there's no other word for it. I mean, it's terrible. It's inexcusable. Um, I, I don't even know what else to say anymore. I mean, you thought, no matter what happened, I thought this could be a competitive game. I, I kicked back. I said, all right, I'm going to watch a, a sloppy 17-14 game, and somebody's going to do something dumb to lose this game for one of the teams, probably because it's Notre Dame-Michigan. And Michigan just, like you said, Nick, blew their doors off. And, and credit to Michigan, and that was a spirited effort. They came out. I think they played a little pissed off, to be honest with you. And, hey, good for them. I agree. But, man, you can't let that happen. I'm sorry. I mean, you're going into the big house. That's the last time these two teams are going to play for a while. Man, I, you just that's, that's, that's a game you get up for as a player, right? Notre Dame-Michigan is a huge deal. You get up for that. I mean, it's not up there with Ohio State-Michigan or the Iron Bowl, but it's a big rivalry. You, you hate those guys. You get up for that game. And Notre Dame, they didn't show up, man. 
it wasn't even it wasn't even a little competitive. And, and that's that that's squarely on Notre Dame. That game is about Notre Dame not showing up for a big game again, getting trounced in a big game again, and not showing out in a rivalry. That's what happened. And that's why it's almost difficult. You don't want to take away from what Michigan yeah, did. Yeah, I don't want to either. But, but... It's, but it's almost difficult because there's just there's no way that Michigan can run the ball that well again. And there's just no way that any team that they're going to play going forward is going to play that poorly. I just I don't care if they play Rutgers again. Is the quarterback for Rutgers going to go eight to twenty five for seventy three yards? I'd have to go back and check the stats there, but I don't know if I mean it'd be close. But that's the point. Rutgers isn't on their schedule anymore, so we'll just we'll ignore that conversation. But it's just there's no way that anybody can play that poorly on Michigan's schedule again. So it's just hard to give them credit. Hats off to Michigan. I'm going to try my best. Jim Harbaugh, you proved me wrong because I thought there was no way that Michigan was going to win this game with the way that they had been trending. So congratulations. You won the big game. But as you said, it's it's the, the fingers pointed at Notre Dame and just not showing up. And the one distinction for me in this game is that I don't like the conversation and where it's gone the last couple of years with Notre Dame. Because I think that they are, again, like Michigan has shown to be the last couple of years, a, a second-tier program. They're the A-minus program, not the A-plus. So I don't think that Notre Dame is in the playoff conversation in terms of one of those teams that should be there. And some, I think, fans and some college football people have tried to put them there. I don't think they ever belong there. So I'll I'll give Notre Dame some of a pass here because I don't think that that was necessary. Certainly wasn't the expectation when Brian Kelly got there. Jim Harbaugh, it was you're competing for a national championship. Yes, it was you're going to win a Big Ten title and you're going to compete for a national championship. That to me is where the distinction lies. Brian Kelly hasn't been successful in these big games, but you know what? I don't know that that's necessarily what he was brought in to do. Yes, you want him to win, and maybe now you can reevaluate and say, do we need to bring in somebody else who we're going to bring in to win these big games? But that wasn't Brian Kelly's M.O. walking into South Bend. That is absolutely what you're looking at with Jim Harbaugh. This is a game that he was expected to win, that he was brought in to win, that he did win, so good job for Jim Harbaugh, but you got to do this consistently and what we saw on Saturday I don't think is sustainable. Yeah, and, and Brian Kelly I think was brought in so they wouldn't plunge to the lows of, you know, Tyrone Whittingham. Uh, I think that's why he was brought in there. So, yeah, it'll be interesting uh, where Notre Dame goes from here. That's a bad performance. Uh, quickly, I want to touch on this Ohio State-Wisconsin game. There isn't too much to talk about. Wisconsin got destroyed. Um, Ohio State is the class of the Big Ten right now. Um, they won 38-7. to Again, sloppy weather, sloppy field conditions, but they played great. Their defense is unbelievable. And, and and I'll take it from this point of view. You know, we're starting at this point of the year to get into Heisman discussions, and I would say the front runner in a lot of people's minds right now is is Joe Burrow, and rightfully so. I mean, yeah, he's he's been a great player. If I had a vote right now, I'm putting it out there right now, I'm voting for Chase Young, the defensive lineman slash linebacker at Ohio State. He is unbelievable. You watch that game on Saturday. Here's a guy who's getting double teamed on most every play, and then he gets a couple of chances, and Joel Klatt was talking about this throughout the game. He gets a couple of chances on one-on-one, and he takes advantage. Always ends in a sack. It's unbelievable. What this guy has done, um, just completely wrecking games. I don't even know who he reminds me of, to be honest with you, because he's just such a transcendent force for this Ohio State team. I think he's the best player in college football. He had four more sacks on Saturday. And if I had a vote for the Heisman right now, 
the way I think about this is Manti Teo a few years ago was in the Heisman discussion. He wasn't nearly as good as Chase Young. Chase Young is incredible. He's unbelievable. And again, if I had a vote right now, I'm voting for this guy. He's already up to 13 and a half sacks in Ohio State. Has played seven games, eight games. So, yeah. Uh, that's who I'm voting for right now, but that's just my take. He should certainly be in the conversation. I agree with you there. I don't know. Joe Burrow, to me, is a pretty tantalizing candidate who has been the best player on, I think, what a lot of people would say, been the best team so far. So I think that that's a difficult guy to shy away from, but I certainly think that Chase Young should be in the conversation. He's a matchup nightmare. You're at 6'6". He looks almost like a linebacker. Yeah. And it's it's kind of odd because I don't know that we've seen anybody with that sort of body type. We've seen guys dominate, but I don't think we've ever seen somebody that tall and that big, right? He's he's 6'6", six, six, and he's 275 pounds. So I can see why he's finding success. Again, the win rate that, that he has when they don't double-team him is outrageous, and he's been a game wrecker, and he's been a large part of Ohio State's success. So hats off to him. I think he certainly belongs in the conversation. Don't know that he's the front-runner right now. It's a good thing that neither one of us have a vote. But I would still have to lean Joe Burrow. The only other thing, the thing I I think that you really would learn from this Ohio State-Wisconsin game was how does Ohio State's offense play against a good defense? And I think they checked the boxes. I was impressed with the way that they played against Wisconsin's defense. I don't think you're going to learn much about Ohio State's defense against Wisconsin's offense that's not very good, especially when they've got the horses to put the clampers on Jonathan Taylor, right? But let's see how Justin Fields and that offense reacts. I thought they did a good job, in particular on the ground, 264 yards rushing. So impressed with the way that Ohio State ran the ball and played offense against a really good Wisconsin defense. Yeah, they were dominant. Rainy Field, Justin Fields, two touchdowns, 12 of 22 for 167. I honestly thought he played better than that, um, than, than those numbers. I thought right. he was really good. J.K. Dobbins is a burner, over 160 yards. He's one of the best running backs in the country. Ohio State gets a big win. They're probably the best team in the Big Ten right now. Still say LSU's the best team in the country. I might put Ohio State at number two, though. Let's move over to this week. Got some interesting matchups this week. College game day is going to uh, SMU Memphis. That's a battle of undefeated SMU and a one-loss Memphis team. Uh, We could get into that before uh, we wrap up the show, but I think the main game to look at this week is Florida-Georgia. Georgia, the eighth-ranked team, Florida at number six. That is a neutral site game being played in Jacksonville. It's a battle of one-loss teams, probably an elimination game for the college football playoff if there is such a thing in the beginning of November. Intriguing matchup. Florida comes in trying to prove its legitimacy, I think, a little bit more, and Georgia comes in as a favorite despite being the lower-ranked team. So should be interesting to watch from Jacksonville. Which Georgia team is going to show up, I think, is the biggest question. And... Which Georgia team on offense, right? Because that's that's the biggest thing. Uh, which Jake Fromm are we going to get? Are they going to run the ball effectively with DeAndre Swift? So we'll we'll see how it goes. I think that the pick is Georgia because I just I question the offense that Florida can put together against a really good Georgia defense. But again, Georgia has shown the propensity to turn the ball over in certain situations. And if they can't run the ball, they could be in trouble. I expect Jake Fromm to certainly play better than he did in a game a couple weeks ago against South Carolina. I think he's gotten better and he's improved from that game. So I'm interested to see which Georgia team shows up, but I think you have to pick Georgia. Just Florida's defense is really good, but I just 
Trask in that offense scares me against Georgia's defense. I think Georgia's better, but like you said, they have a propensity in 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 games. Not even like this. They've done it against worst opponents. I mean, South Carolina. My God, they they South Carolina lost by twenty to Tennessee last week, and Georgia lost to that team at home. With, with by the way, South Carolina playing a third string quarterback. Um, <laughs> no, the pick. Man, I'm tentative about this. Yeah, I'll go with Georgia. I shouldn't. I shouldn't because I, I don't trust Kirby. But, yeah, I'll take Georgia. I I want to take Florida. I do. I, I have to say I, I trust Trask, I think, more than you do. And Georgia's been inconsistent in these games. But, yeah, Georgia's just a more talented team. But, again, in some of these games sometimes, they did it against LSU last year, just completely laid an egg. You know, if we come back here next week and, and Florida's still a one-loss team and in the playoff conversation, am I going to be surprised? No, not at all, because that's that's been the nature of Georgia the last couple of years, the last few years, really. I mean, that's the identity of Georgia football, um, just inconsistency and in some of these big games just not showing out. One more game I want to talk about more in the context of the team that's playing in it, Oregon-USC. Low-key, that's a really big game. Oregon now, if they win out, probably has a clear pass to the playoff. They are a one-loss team with that one loss being against Auburn all the way back in week one. They have worked their way back into the top seven. They're at USC. They go in as a a four-and-a-half-point favorite. And like we said, probably the only chance the Pac-12 has at fielding a playoff team this year is Oregon and Justin Herbert. Their defense actually has been really good, has Oregon's, and their running game as well. And Herbert's had a decent year, but... It's really been the other pieces for Oregon that have been very impressive too. So be interesting to see, but I think this Oregon team is certainly talented enough to reach the playoff. But again, it's a matter of sometimes in the Pac-12, these teams lose some bad games. And I think this is kind of a landmine for Oregon that they could possibly fall into. Yeah, it's probably not a huge game on the college football landscape, but it's just a team that might have a shot at making the playoff against a competent team on the other sideline in a game that they could potentially be upset in. The line is at four and a half, which I think is about right. I think this should be a close game. Really impressed with the way Oregon's defense has played this year, as you mentioned, right? Again, we all knew about the offense. We all knew about Justin Herbert. He's going to be a first-round pick, a a quarterback that a lot of NFL teams are really interested in. They're scoring 36 points a game, but they're they're only allowing 15 right and it's only 308 yards a game and and this is a good defense and this is a good team I don't know that they are a playoff caliber team they may benefit certainly from the schedule I don't know that they could go toe-to-toe with again they did with Auburn right but um and, and lost granted but I don't know that they're they're as good as some of those fringe teams like Auburn like Florida in the SEC Georgia but I think that, again, their schedule, you, you play who's on your schedule, you try and win the conference that you're in, and we'll see if they can give it a shot. I, I think Oregon will win today, but at, at the same time, we've seen USC put together some really good efforts, and we've seen USC lay a couple of eggs. I think they're too inconsistent against an Oregon team, and uh, I, I like Oregon. Even though even though it's on the road, I don't know that USC has enough. Again, I think they're they're kind of in a weird place as a program with a backup quarterback and a, a head coach who's a dead man walking. <laughs> It'll be a good game. I think USC comes out and plays hard. I'm going with the upset. I'll take USC in this game. So it should be a good week of college football. Next week, 
Could have one versus two, LSU, Alabama, but you'll have to tune back in for that one. But should be a good week of college football, Nick, and uh, thanks for coming by and talking about it as always. And we're looking forward to it. Not a ton of necessarily huge games, but these are always the weeks that you look at and you say, hey, maybe something happens this week. Maybe there are some upsets, and, and maybe this is where things go haywire where we didn't expect it. No, you never know. Wofford and Clemson this week <laughs> at Clemson. I like Wofford. Hey, I'm we just... didn't we didn't get to talk about Kansas State, Kansas. I... Eat the grass, baby. Yeah. All right. Eat the grass. Hold that tiger. And that'll just about do it for us. For my partner, Nick DeLuca, I'm Jimmy Sullivan. Thank you for listening, and we will see you right back here next week.